all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today, we are going to dig into our mailbag and answer the emails that have been coming our way over the past couple of weeks. Email is always a great way to get your question in to us if you don't catch us when we're on the air or you just don't want to hear your voice on the radio. You can send us an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Of course, I love it when you give me a call, and you can do that today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Or you can go over to my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie, and post your questions there, either for everyone to see, or you can send them um, in a private message, and that's just fine as well. And so um, I've gotten lots of emails over the past couple of weeks, and so I want to make sure that we get um, get to some of those today. But first, I want to talk about um, some food recipes. It's usually Kevin that has seen recipes from me that I have posted pictures on, on Facebook, and, and we talk about those. But this weekend, Kevin posted some food, um, and, uh, and it looked delicious. And so I think we should talk a little bit about what you made this weekend. Kevin, what did you make? Uh, I got my air fryer out of deep storage. No, not really. It was, <laughs> it was still on the counter, but hadn't used it in a while. And it was kind of disappointing because when I first got it, I was excited. Uh, I wished I had gotten one that had a little bit more uh, volume to it. Uh, but yeah. I started thinking that I had seen some things about um, things that were easy to cook. And so I bought some broccoli because the other thing is, I, I get the steam bags, and I love mm-hmm. broccoli, but I've seen too many that have sauces or cheese or whatever, and I just like steamed broccoli. Um, right. So anyway, I thought, uh, well, let me try it in the uh, air fryer. I found a simple recipe for it, so I went to a Kroger and got some fresh broccoli, chopped it all up. It was, the I think I got enough for about two servings. It was less than a dollar, I think. It was very mm. cheap. Uh, and so I put it in a, a bowl, put about two tablespoons of olive oil and a little bit of Mrs. Dash on there and mixed it all up. Uh, put it in the air fryer for about, I think, 11 minutes. And boy, when it came out, that such a deep, bright green color. It was one of those where you enjoy the taste, but uh, part of the fun, too, was just seeing how, how vibrantly green it turned out. So there's a lot of things that you just mentioned in that that makes me very, very happy. And so one is that it was vegetable, which is I always get happy to see people eating uh, more vegetables, even if you're not completely plant-based. Anytime we can add more vegetables is a good way to do it. Um, trying something in a new way is another, you know, another option. Sometimes we get 
kind of bogged down and bored with, you know, the things that we're eating. And so looking for a different way to prepare something can kind of take an old favorite and give it, give it a little extra life. So glad you got your air fryer back, back into the rotation. Um, you know, my air fryer, I don't, I use it probably four to five times a week. I mean, I just use it all of the time. Um, and veggies are one of the things that I do in it most often. And so, um, you know, I'm not a huge cooked broccoli fan, but I'm going to try this because I do like roasted broccoli. So I think that it would be uh, that I would enjoy that. You know, some other ones that kind of my brain immediately went to when I saw your picture was cauliflower. And I actually have um, a new ish cauliflower product in my fridge that is um, I can't even remember what it's called, but it's kind of a cross between cauliflower and broccoli. Um, and so they're kind of like almost baby cauliflowers. And so I'm going to try those tonight, I think, um, and roast those in my air fryer as well. And I may even make like a little buffalo sauce to dip it in. So it'll be like, you know, not chicken wing dippers um, as, as I watch uh, TV tonight. So there, there's that. Um, but really just the other things that you mentioned where it was inexpensive, right? You know, so kind of shop in the sales. If you go and, you know, broccoli is for some reason super expensive, then maybe switch to another veggie that works well, like cauliflower or asparagus or green beans or something like that. Um, going to the freezer section is great. You mentioned kind of avoiding those products that have sausage, sauces and packets and things with them. And that is a great tip as well, because that's usually where veggies move from being a, you know, a, a plus in the nutrition category to, you know, at least being neutral and not being super helpful. Um, but oftentimes kind of moving into the not so healthy category, um, because most of those sauces have fat and salt in them. And so, you know, even if, um, something comes with a seasoning packet, doesn't always mean you have to use it. You can throw that seasoning packet out and season things, you know, your own way there. So lots of good, um, good things that you did. Made my little uh, healthy habits heart happy when I saw that picture um, there. All right, guys, if you have questions or comments for us, really related to you know, getting and staying healthy, we're happy to take those today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. All right, so I'm going to jump um, right on in to uh, some of the questions that I've gotten. And so the first one kind of starts with exercise, which is a great place to start. Um, and it says, hi, Josie, I heard your segment and didn't realize you were a Zumba instructor. Yes, I'm a Zumba instructor. Love to dance. Um, I've recently started back with Zumba through DVDs, and I'm enjoying it again, which is another fantastic thing. Um, my only issue is that I don't have the proper shoes. I purchased a dance shoe, but it pinches my toes. Um, and I'm currently wearing a pair of sports shoes, which work, but they're very old. Since you and Kevin were discussing shoes for certain exercise forms, I was wondering if you could advise me on Zumba shoes. And then she goes on to list a couple of um, specific Zumba shoes that she found on the Zumba website, um, including one that's a high top. And she asked about, um, about high tops. And just kind of my thoughts on any of those shoes. So um, I'll tell you a little bit about what, what I wear to dance in and then kind of the, my thoughts on when you're choosing a shoe for, um, for your fitness levels. So I wear a dance shoe. It, I wear Rika. 
um, not an endorsement of that particular brand, but that's the type that has fit my foot the best as I've tried different ones. Um, but the most important thing when you're choosing a shoe for some type of dance um, fitness, whether it be Zumba or aerobics or uh, refit or any of those types of things, is what kind of floor you're going to be dancing on is very, very important. So, um, I mean, I've taught in um, gyms where I've been on the basketball court. I've taught in yoga studios where the floor is kind of spongy almost. Um, I've taught in kind of office buildings where it's concrete with, you know, linoleum on top. Uh, and I've taught in um, areas that have that very thin kind of industrial carpet on them. And so each one of those areas kind of affects your joints differently. And so kind of affected how, you know, the type of shoe that I chose for each one of those. Now, if you're doing Zumba at home or, you know, at a particular uh, fitness studio, you're not going to need multiple different types of shoes or accessories or anything like that because you've only got kind of one place that you're exercising. And so probably the one that's hardest on on the joints and the knees is when there's carpet involved. Um, because with dance fitness, you do a lot of kind of twisting motions uh, and side to side motions and carpet can kind of hang on to your shoe, especially an athletic shoe that's got a lot of grip on the bottom of it. Um, it kind of snags on that carpet and can actually cause knee pain. Um, so if you're you know, exercising on carpet, then um, a dance shoe that has an, kind of a special thing on the bottom called a, like a pivot circle or a pivot point, it's kind of a smooth spot um, that allows you to, to pivot better. Or they make these things called dance socks, which just kind of slip over the end of the shoe where the majority of the tread is that would kind of snag you up on carpet. Um, on the other varieties, if you're doing wood or concrete or, um, you know, something like that, then you really want to make sure you've got great arch support and good cushioning because those are harder type floors. Um, she mentioned that she had some older shoes and older shoes can actually be okay because the, the tread is worn down a little bit. And so that helps with kind of the, the twisting and the side to side motions that we talked about but you may need to replace the inserts on the inside, right? If all of the cushion and the support and everything is kind of um, flattened out or worn down, just pop those inserts out and put new inserts in and find something that's comfortable and supportive for you. Zumba has many, many different types of shoes on their website. Um, and what I've found is people either really like Zumba shoes or they really don't like Zumba shoes. Um, and so it's it's kind of one of those, um, you know, very polarized topics. People either find them very, very comfortable or don't. I have a very high um, arch in my foot and I haven't found them um, super comfortable for that reason. Um, the other thing she asked about was high top. And I actually do wear high top dance sneakers because I've had several ankle injuries and I feel like it gives me just a little bit extra support um, there when I'm doing some of my kind of lateral movements there. So not a cut and dry answer on that. There are lots of different options that you have available out there that you can do, but find one that's comfortable, find one that's supportive, and then find one that matches um, 
the type of flooring that you're going to be um, be dancing on so that you don't have um, you know any additional injury and if you if you're cross training in other um, sports like I also run I'm not going to wear my dance shoes to run I'm going to have you know kind of a general pair of athletic shoes or running shoes that that I run in there and that's because I'm training. I'm not just going for my casual walk. I'm actually training for a run. Um, so you don't have to have multiple pairs of shoes. Just find something that's comfortable and supportive for you that helps to get you up and moving. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. for joining us today. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MTB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And we're going through our mailbag today, answering your questions as well as taking your calls live today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always send us an email, even when we're not on the air, and that is fit at mpbonline.org. And you can interact with me over on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. Um, either posting a message there or sending it to me by private message, either is fine, and we are happy to answer those questions. And I think we've got a caller on the line in Utica. We've got Renee this morning. Hello, Renee. Hi. Hi, how can I help you today? Yes, I would like to know, are all the fish or flavors that are in food, are they bad for your health? And I listen on the radio. Are all what in food? Artificial flavors, are they bad? Artificial flavors. Okay, great. That's an excellent question. And so my number one kind of statement that I make or rule that I, that I give folks, and I, I don't even really like the word rule, but kind of my motto when it comes to nutrition is eat real food, right? And so we want to eat things that are real, you know, because we can link them back to where they came from. And when we choose a real product, then it also likely has the uh, vitamins and minerals and fiber and all those things that came with it. You know, if we choose um, maybe a beverage that is cherry flavored, then likely all we're getting is some of those artificial flavorings, some red dye and sugar and water. Whereas if we choose, um, you know, a cherry juice, then we're also going to get the the health benefits that come along with cherries. We're not going to get the fiber because we got rid of that when we juiced it, but we'll get some of the vitamins, the minerals, 
um, the melatonin in cherries and so different things that way. So when, you know, when possible, steering clear of artificial things is, is the way to go. Um, even when we're talking about, you know, artificial sweeteners and, and different products there, as much real food as we can have, um, the better. Um, now, I don't obsess about things, you know, if I don't spend hours and hours in the grocery store pouring over everything. Um, but I do try and pick things that have been messed with the least amount moving forward. So that is a fantastic question there. And I hope that that helps you out a little bit. If not, you can always email us and I'll be happy to send you some more information there. All right. So um, the next email that came in um, kind of goes back to recipes. And so uh, it's a couple who said they were eating lunch, listening to Southern Remedy, which yay for that. Thanks for, for eating lunch and listening to Southern Remedy on your lunch break um, and talking about what to cook tonight for Meatless Monday. When you mentioned um, your mom's skillet cabbage, it sounded so good. Can you share a recipe or describe how she cooks it? Um, we're doing one of my mother's favorite recipes, seashells and tomatoes and some blackened yellow squash and onions um, with a little fresh okra on the side. It should be very colorful. So, okay, gosh, that made me hungry. I'm thinking about some of those things. Um, the second piece that makes me smile in this email is the, the concept of Meatless Monday. And you know, that is an absolutely fantastic way to cut back on animal products in, in your diet without being vegan or a vegetarian or, you know, any of these other labels, but putting in one to two days of meatless meals during the week is a great way to do that. And when you do that, you cut back on saturated fat and cholesterol, right? I've talked on the show before that cholesterol only um, lives in animal products. So anytime we're able to pull back on those, then we're automatically pulling back on cholesterol. So that's actually how I got started on my plant-based journey was putting in um, meatless Mondays. So it's a great way to do that. So my mom's skillet cabbage. Now, hmm, it is delicious. It is not necessarily the super healthiest thing in the world. Um, and it would also, the original way she fixed it would not be meatless. Um, because like a lot of things in Southern cooking, it started with bacon. Um, and so while delicious, it would not be an animal free meal. And so we've adapted it over time. Um, so her original recipe would have things like olive oil, bacon, onions, um, and cabbage. My kind of, uh, animal free version that I have, uh, have done still has olive oil, but a little less than what she normally adds, has the onion um, the cabbage. And then I use two things to kind of simulate that flavor that you would get from bacon. So I use um, smoked paprika, um, which is a great uh, spice that's able to give kind of that smoky flavor that you normally associate with bacon. Um, and then I also put some red pepper flakes in mine because I like things spicy. Um, and so I start with about a tablespoon of olive oil um, in my pan and one sliced onion that I go ahead and put in and let that kind of start to um, sweat, which means the kind of fluid or the water coming out of the onion and the onions getting soft. Um, I'm not looking for them to get super brown, just to kind of get soft and kind of translucent. And then I'm going to put my cabbage in. Now my mom uh, hand slices a whole head of cabbage. 
Um, I am rather impatient. And so I actually buy the shredded cabbage coleslaw. Um, not the one that has the carrots and all that other stuff in it, although you could if you enjoyed that. But I just get the plain shredded cabbage. Um, and that's how I get this, you know, get my, my meals on the table um, quicker uh, during the week. And so I dump a bag of that in there um, and let it put a lid on and let it kind of start to, to sweat down a little bit. And if it starts to stick where some folks would add more oil, this is where I add a little bit of veggie stock or water. Um, sprinkle on my smoked paprika and my um, chili flakes and stir it all together and let it cook until everything's kind of wilted and soft. And that that's kind of my uh, healthier version of, of mom's skillet cabbage there. If you try it, I would love to hear. Um, you can uh, follow me over on Healthy Habits on Facebook and you can post a picture there and tag me in it. And that would be great. Or over on Instagram, you can tag me at Josie H. Bidwell and I'd love to see it there. And I would really like to know about these seashells and tomatoes because I don't know what that is, but it sounds like pasta because it has seashells in it. And I love a good pasta dish there. So I hope you uh, enjoyed that recipe there. And if anybody else has a, a way that they like to cook cabbage, I'd love to hear about it, uh, too. Uh, um, Josie, all right. Go ahead. Um, if you could share your tip for dicing an onion, which uh, I got Ooh, from yeah. one of the recipes I got from you and I, has really helped me uh, and has made me a better onion dicer. Oh, an, an onion pro, right? And so uh, when you get your get your onion, right, so slice it in a way that doesn't leave the root end and then the little, the little stem end, right? We don't want to slice it that way. We want to slice it the other way where each half of the onion keeps a piece of that kind of little hairy root end um, and then kind of slice off that, the, the stem end of it there. Um, then peel that you know, outer layer off and then you kind of give it um, some vertical Yep, that's right. Vertical. I was thinking about vertical versus horizontal. Some vertical slices and then turn it and cross slice across that. And it gives you perfect little dice already. Uh, I know that's kind of hard to visualize um, over the radio, but we, I do have a video of that up. Um, I think it's in my uh, the talk, black bean taco skillet video that's over on um, on Facebook and YouTube um, that you can see there. And it really does quickly speed up the way that you're able to, to prep um, um, your vegetables and get your meals on the table. When we were um, doing our teaching kitchen, that was one of the things that, you know, I saw over and over again was just how long it was taking people to, to cut up their, their ingredients. And I was like, well, no wonder people think it takes a really long time to get, get dinner on the table. Um, and you don't have to be a chef. I'm, I, I look at my hands while I dice. I'm not one of those that can look away and just chop, 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 chop. Um, but there are tips and tricks to speed things up. You know, the other tip there is I usually go ahead and prep my onions um, on the weekends. So at least a couple days worth. I will usually dice one kind of completely. And then the other one I'll kind of um, like slice it in half moons. Um, like we had fajitas last night. So that was kind of perfect to throw in, in my fajitas there. And then, you know, I know if we're going to have black bean burgers or something during the week, then I'll also kind of go ahead and slice up some rings. Um, that way those are just ready and in the fridge um, for me to grab there. So thanks for that. And you can, any kind of vegetable like that, like an onion, a shallot, 
or garlic, you can slice them all relatively the same way and speed that process up a little bit there. Josie, I, I think I have a visual that might be helpful to folks at home and, and make sure I'm right on this. But if the onion, on me. if the onion is the earth, you're slicing from the North Pole to the South Pole and not along the equator. Yes, look at you. I'm stealing it, Kevin. I'm stealing it. It's going to go on a blog post. Just you wait and see. So that is... <laughs> That is an excellent way to, to visualize it there. All right. I think we've got time for kind of one more um, before we take our next break. And this one's really more of um, a comment. And then I'll, I'll give you kind of uh, my takeaways from that. Um, and so this uh, individual says, thank you for including information about a plant-based diet on your Southern Remedy program. Um, I'm a 67-year-old vegan living in a rural county, and your pointers help me to be creative and piecing together a vegan diet in an area where resources are limited. And when I got that email, it made me smile all over. It really did make my day um, for a variety of reasons. One, thank you for listening to Southern Remedy. Um, two, thank you for embracing a plant-based lifestyle, even when uh, sometimes it seems a little bit difficult. Um, and third, I think it gives us a good opportunity to talk about the, the kind of the basics of a vegan diet and what that means or a plant-based diet and you know, I've talked um, on the show before about the difference between being vegan and being plant-based and that not everything that's vegan is healthy um, you know french fries are vegan technically um, depending on where you get them from uh, so and french fries are delicious and I eat french fries every now and then too but eating french fries every single day um, in the name of being vegan is not the healthy way to go. Um, so we want to choose things that are full of nutrients and full of fiber and a little lower on the, on the calorie scale. Um, so really aiming for things that are plant focused and plant forward are where we want to go. And again, real food, right? Oreos are vegan. Oreos are not as delicious as they are. Not real real food. There's no Oreo tree growing along anywhere, although um, I, my kids would be very happy if there was an Oreo tree growing around. But anyway, the basics of a plant-based diet is making half of your plate fruits and veggies. And when I say veggies, I'm talking about um, kind of those non-starchy veggies um, like broccoli and cauliflower and asparagus and green beans and cabbage and turnip greens. Um, and mushrooms and onions and peppers and all those delicious types of things. A quarter of your plate protein, and when we're talking plant-based um, or vegan, we're talking about non-animal-based sources of protein, which are going to be your beans, lentils, legumes, nuts, and seeds. Um, and then a quarter of your plate as starch, and usually from um, whole grains. So oatmeal and barley and farro and um, whole wheat um, tortilla wrap and those different types of things. So fruits and veggies as the half of plate, a quarter of the plate as a plant-based protein and a quarter of the plate as grains. And so even in somewhere that has very um, limited resources, um, especially when you're looking for vegan or plant-based items that can, it's pretty easy to piece that, that together um, especially staying away from kind of specialty vegan products because usually those have a lot of salt added to them, a lot of fat added to them. Um, you know, I'm talking about the kind of the alternative meat products and, and those types of things added to it. Um, so, you know, good old beans, rice, and greens are a great way to get um, kind of the basics of a plant-based diet on your plate for 
pretty doggone cheap and in most locations um, across the state. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we're answering your questions today. I've got Lots of emails that have come in, and I love to get messages that way. Our email address is fit at mpbonline.org. I also love to talk with you on the phone. If you want to give us a call today, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can message me over on Facebook. It's Healthy Habits with Josie. And I think we'll switch over to Facebook for, for a question and show Facebook a little love this morning. Um, we had a question actually come in today um, asking about sparkling water. Um, so she has uh, transitioned to sparkling water, the ones that have no um, artificial sweeteners or um, flavors or sugar or anything, just water and carbonation um, and a little bit of uh, natural flavoring. And so that sounds very similar to what I drink. Um, it's usually what we think of with seltzer water or sparkling water. Um, and asks, um, is drinking a lot of this um, a good replacement for soda? And so that's a loaded question. So what does a lot mean is kind of the, the first comment that I would have there. Um, and then in context of what else you're eating and drinking, right? So sparkling water um, is how I personally got off of, of diet soda. Um, I really enjoy the, um, the fizziness in, um, in a beverage. And so moving, um, you know, of course, when I was growing up, I did um, Sprite and Coke. Those were just kind of the normal sodas that we had growing up. Um, and then, you know, after I uh, became an adult and uh, did not uh, my, well, my, I guess my metabolism slowed down a little bit or I just kept hanging on to um, the weight after I had babies. Um, I said, oh, I don't need any of this extra sugar. So I'm going to go to Diet Coke and really became pretty, you know, pretty dependent on on that Diet Coke and especially first thing in the morning. And so giving that up, which um, I did for a variety of reasons, but most importantly, um, we found out that the the aspartame or the artificial sweetener was um triggering my migraines. And so I really needed to, to get rid of that 
for, you know, that reason, but, uh, you know, also the fact that large amounts of artificial sweetener are not great for us and I need to drink more water. And so I was looking for a way to, to, to let that go while still um, having the fizziness and not having a ton of extra sugar and, and calories on board. And so I switched to a sparkling water and I tell you the first time I tried a sparkling water, I didn't love it. Um, you know, it was, uh, a little weird. Uh, a little weird for me uh, to feel that, but now I absolutely adore it. And um, it is kind of my treat during the day. And that is how I treat any beverage that is not plain water. Um, I treat it as, um, you know, more a, a treat. And so um, I usually recommend the majority of your fluid intake coming from plain water and of course, the, um, the naturally occurring fluids that are in fruits and vegetables. Um, and then I usually have one, sometimes two, of um, the sparkling waters on board. Now, the other thing to think about when you're choosing whether you're going to do a sparkling water is if you have any problems um, with reflux uh, or you know, indigestion-type symptoms. And so adding a bunch of carbonated water or carbonated anything into your gut may make that worse. Um, you know, it may um, put more pressure on the muscle that sits at the top of your stomach because it kind of lets things reflux back into your esophagus. And so you want to be careful with that. So I don't know exactly what she means by a lot, um, but, you know, again, if it's not just plain plain water, now you could squeeze a little bit of fruit into your plain water, you know, some lemons or some limes or strawberries or whatever into your water. Um, but anything extra, you know, do so um, irresponsibly with, you know, not going overboard. So, you know, one to two servings of that would be what I recommend there. But kudos for getting off the soda because um, it really is not part of a healthy dietary pattern. All right, we'll go over um, to Jackson and talk with Victor this morning. Hello, Victor. How are you today? I cannot complain. How are you? I'm doing fine. I just have a question. Uh, okay. I'm a di- I'm a diabetic, but I keep my numbers in line because I work out all the time, and I try okay. to eat, but eat, eat, eat healthy. Uh, okay. I'm 61 years old. I uh, also take uh, meds for hypertension, uh, okay. alopecia, lisinopril. Okay. And like I said, I work out probably four days a week. Uh, cardio and lifting weights. Okay. My question to you is, I talked to a friend of mine. He's in the same situation I'm in uh, health-wise, and we kind of mm-hmm. coordinate and talk all the time. He tells me he's taking testosterone. He goes to a doctor, and they measure his testosterone levels and make sure he's getting the right amount, this, that, and the other. I was mm-hmm. wondering before I, before I even consult this guy, is this something that is dangerous, or is it something that is helpful, or what would your thought process be on something like that? Absolutely. So um, low testosterone is a thing, um, and it you know can cause health problems. And we do know as gentlemen get older, testosterone levels do start to decline somewhat. Um, and it can have problem, you know, problems with sleep, problems with energy, mm-hmm. of course, problems with, mm-hmm. you know, um, libido and sexual performance, lots of different things. 
Um, but just like before any supplement is added or any treatment is added, we got to know kind of what your level is, right? And so, you know, if you're having any of those issues, fatigue or um, poor sleep or any of those types of things, I think it's perfectly appropriate to have that discussion with your healthcare provider about what your testosterone levels might be um, and get them checked. And then if you're deficient, um, you know, consider replacing that. I will tell you that testosterone levels need to be drawn in the morning. Um, so if you're um, considering having that done, then a morning appointment um, is, is your best bet there. Or if you can't get a morning appointment, then, you know, you may have to come back and get your labs drawn on a, on a different day um, there. Is that helpful? Because my, problem, because my problem is this. The days I don't work out, I feel lethargic. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel yeah. energized. Yeah, I yeah. don't work out. If I miss two days, it's like I have the energy level is not there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's, um, I mean, you could absolutely have that checked. It may also be that you're missing kind of the mental health boost and the kind of endorphin release that happens when we exercise. Um, and that's kind of making you feel sluggish on those days. And so even if you're not I'm going to work out those days. If you just took, you know, got out and did a walk around the neighborhood for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, that may help um, kind of, you know, boost your, um, your feelings for that day, um, just to kind of keep that physical activity habit. Is there there any natural remedies that you can suggest that may help that? Help your energy levels? Yeah, as far as the testosterone is concerned. Oh, no. So we have to remember that just because something is natural doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy. Um, You know, supplements are not regulated um, as tightly as, you know, medications are. And so I generally don't recommend starting any type of um, supplement without at least having an initial evaluation with your healthcare provider because you may not need to boost your testosterone. Um, We've got to kind of see what your testosterone level is. Uh, before you consider adding anything to it to to boost it. What about food groups? Is there any food groups that will be plants? Right. So the more plants we can eat, the the better our heart health and our energy level. So again, focusing on those fruits, veggies, grains, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, those types of things, the better our heart health is. Um, the better our blood pressure is, and usually the better we feel. Okay, I do appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. Well, I appreciate you giving us a call today. Thank you so much, Victor. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
joining us today. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. And I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. And we've been answering your questions from Facebook, from email, and from calls today. And we're going to dive right back in in this last segment of the show with some of these email questions. Um, This one says, I am a type 2 diabetic. I would like to transition to vegetarianism, but I find that the recommendation for lentils and beans for protein give me too many carbohydrates. What do you suggest? Also, what are your recommendations for how many grams of protein, carbs, and fat I should aim for daily? And they did not want me to tell you their weight or their name, and I fully appreciate that. You can remain anonymous. So uh, this is a question I get all the time um, because the majority, well, not the majority, but a ton of the patients that I work with have type 2 diabetes. And so when we start talking about adding in things like beans and lentils, they go, wait a second, those have starch in them and I'm not supposed to have starch and carbohydrates and those types of things. And so it's a valid concern and one we need to talk about a little bit more. Uh, Before we do that, um, I want to talk a little bit about what vegetarianism is and how that's different than vegan. Um, Vegan is the absence of all animal products. So strict vegans don't have eggs or dairy or even honey. Um, I am uh, not quite that strict. Um, I still will do um, some honey, um, and but I typically don't have eggs and dairy. Um, vegetarian is just the absence of um, the meat and the meat byproducts, um, but you would still um, have uh, eggs and um, dairy on the vegetarian diet. And so um, I think it's important to re- to to understand what is going on in type 2 diabetes. Um, Type 2 diabetes is, uh, the hallmark of that is insulin resistance, meaning you don't use your insulin that you, um, that your body makes as well. And so what does insulin do? Um, When we eat and our food is broken down, glucose rises in our bloodstream um, and we need that glucose to run the different functions of our body, but we need that glucose to get into the cell to be used. And so insulin um, acts as the lock, uh, as the key actually on, um, on the lock on the cell and kind of opens the cell up and allows um, the glucose to go into the cell for use. And so with insulin resistance, um, the thing that is Uh, really kind of gumming up the lock or making the key not turn the lock is fat um, or what we call intramyocellular lipids. So fat within the, um, in the muscle cells. And so uh, when we have a a diet that's high in fat uh, as well as high in carbohydrates, um, then we do have elevated blood sugar levels um, because we're not able to use the insulin and we have all these extra carbs on board. Um, If we address the fat content of our food and start to bring that way down and be on a, you know, a very low, in particular, saturated fat diet, um, then that insulin resistance starts to improve. And then those carbohydrates do not produce such a spike in blood sugar. Um, So initially, when I'm working with um, people with type 2 diabetes who are trying to transition to a plant-based diet, the first thing we do is pull out added fats and really work on pulling out um, saturated fats. So we're probably going to lose the bacon um, and switch more to chicken, you know, things like that so that we get um, the fat content down so the insulin resistance gets a little bit better. And then we can start transitioning into adding more of the starchier plant-based proteins in there. There is a YouTube um, video um, if you just go, you just go to YouTube and type in Beth Motley, 
insulin resistance. It's a great just three or four minute um, video that talks about the actual underlying causes of insulin resistance and how a plant-based diet can help to reverse that. So it's a great little watch there. All right, I think we've got time for um, one more email, and that's good because I've got one more email. Uh, <laughs> this says, good morning, dealing with stressful events and situations, many people seek comfort through eating. Yes, they do. Um, even if it isn't bad food, um, dealing with um, the consequences can be uncomfortable and sometimes scary, right? So if they salty snacks um, make you bloated, that type of stuff. I recently overindulged with a couple of salty items and then a decent serving of an Asian dish, immediately felt the salt impacts and took a good half hour or better for rapid pulse and headache to subside. I do take a low dose blood pressure medicine, no diabetes, but have thyroid problems. What is something people can do to help counter safely and fairly quickly this type of situation? Well, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So what we want to do is prevent um, using food to cope with stressful events, if at all possible. Um, knowing that sometimes we're still going to slip up and do that. But again, trying not to think of foods as good or bad, just foods we need to eat more of and foods we need to eat less of. And that every kind of food choice or meal or snack is a separate event. And just, you know, if we perhaps were not so great um, at snack time and had a lot of chips, maybe, then intentionally think about your next meal and how you're going to choose something that's much lower in sodium and fat and starch um, for that particular meal. Um, some tips for kind of dealing with those stressful situations, though, is, is really going to be the heart at, at preventing this, right, and not turning to food when, uh, when you're stressed out. And so kind of the number one thing I do is when I go to reach for a food, I ask myself, am I really hungry or am I bored or am I stressed? And if I'm really hungry, that's one thing. But if I'm not hungry and it's I'm bored or I'm stressed, then I kind of just turn, you know, put it down, walk away from it, turn away and think of something else I can fill my time for there. Now, when you're in the midst of a stressful situation is not the time to try and build your, your toolkit on non-food related um or tools to address this. You want to be practicing these tools and have a good list that you can draw from when you're feeling stressed. And we've talked a lot on this show about things like abdominal deep breathing exercises, um, as well as progressive muscle relaxation, journaling, all of these different types of techniques. And those are all great valuable tools that you can use when presented with a stressful situation. Um, and so the, the abdominal deep breathing is usually the one kind of my go-to. So when I'm super stressed and I want to reach for something that's not so great for me and I don't actually need because it doesn't match my health goals, I step away and do the abdominal deep breathing, um, activity, um, you know, where you focus on making your belly rise more than your chest, uh, focus on the breath going in and the breath going out. Um, another thing that I turn to often is a walk, right? And this is not necessarily a walk for burning calories and getting my heart rate up, but more a walk for mindfulness where I go outside um, and just appreciate the sounds that I hear, the things that I see, the smells, the, you know, the things that I can touch, all the different colors out there. Um, and that kind of takes your mind into a little bit more of a relaxed pattern and a little less focus on the food. 
I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.